Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 113, where in a moment we're in conversation with this week's guest, Neil Caragatur of Credit Spring. That's on the way, like I say, in just a second, but please bear in mind if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here and you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows because in our programmes to date... We featured loads of stuff, pensions, investing, wills, powers of attorney, and heaps more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last week, we were chatting about investing in whiskey with our guest expert, Alistair Moncrief of Whiskey Partners. That was an interesting one. Any day now for our free samples, I'm sure. Uh, remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcast, and you'll get us there. Like I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm Joe Mallison. With me today, deputising for Phil last minute because he's not very well, is one of his colleagues, Cheryl Horn, an independent financial advisor with Phil Anderson Financial Services. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm good, yes. Thank you for asking, John. Yes, thrown in at the last minute, but we'll get there. <laughs> no nerves. We'll be fine. <laughs> Neil, we'll come on to Credit Spring in, in just a moment. But first of all, just by way of introduction, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your own background and achievements. Hi, uh, thanks for having me here today. So my name is Neil Katagator, and I'm the CEO and founder of Credit Spring. I've been involved in innovative form of credits for, for over 20 plus years now. And that started when I, over 20 years ago while I was at Princeton University researching microfinance. So I traveled all across villages in India learning about this new concept called microfinance. And it was there where I saw firsthand the power and the transformative power of credit. And it's also there where I saw how simple innovations can have a huge impact on millions of lives. After that, I I went to Goldman Sachs, where I was there for almost 13 years in another innovative field of credit, credit derivatives. And there I helped governments, sovereign wealth funds, companies use credit to better manage their finances, get through humps, et cetera. And then in 2016, I left to start my own business, which is Credit Spring and why we're here today. Okay. And so tell us about, I mean, you mentioned there being in India and then Goldman Sachs came in. Uh, Tell us about Credit Spring and and what that does, Neil. So Credit Spring was started with only with just identifying a problem that credit was not working for a lot of people in the UK. So what we did is we tried to turn everything upside down and think about creating a simpler and safer way for people to borrow. So what Credit Spring does is for a fixed monthly membership fee, people get access to personalized financial education, personalized scores that we've created meant to give them some idea of where they stand, how well they could withstand a financial shock, how eligible they could be for different forms of credit. We also offer credit building. So just being a member helps people improve their credit. And finally, and probably most importantly, we offer people access to on-demand no interest loans. And that's the real key of what we are offering. So by not charging interest and instead charging a simple fixed fee, we do two crucial things for the consumer. One, we make borrowing extremely easy to understand because people 
don't fully understand. Nobody understands interest rates, including me. <laughs> uh, everyone budgets in pounds and pence. So what we did is we removed the rate for a fee to fit inside everyone's budget. But even more importantly, by not charging an interest rate in just a fixed fee, we've removed, we've eliminated the risk of any debt spirals. Okay, I'm probably going to throw a spanner in the works here because for so long, there have been lots of warnings in the industry and, and people around the idea of borrowing and how if you're not careful, you could get yourself into real trouble. But now you're coming along and saying, if you need it, borrow it. As a financial advisor myself, I've come across a lot of clients who have gotten themselves in a lot of trouble over the years by borrowing, refinancing, borrowing again, refinancing. So how how do you address that as a company and retain a sense of caring for the customer and having their best interests at heart? Well, I, I think that's a great question and it's important because there is a stigma against borrowing and borrowing can end up in dangerous situations, but it's not always the case. And I think the first thing we all need to understand is that borrowing is absolutely essential. It's been around for 5,000 years and it's only grown more and more. Governments borrow, companies borrow, and people of all incomes and ages do borrow, right? So it's important that we understand that. And even just today, the FT just, just announced today that average grocery spend is going to increase by 682 pounds for UK adults this year. When 40% of the country has less than 100 pounds in savings, they need to borrow. But what you said is right. They need to borrow responsibly. And this is where at Credit Spring, we think it's a responsibility of lenders to step up and make borrowing safer and simpler. So while you said you've got a number of customers who got in trouble, and I bet it's often the case where a small debt becomes a larger debt, and then they take more debt, and then it gets out of control. That's why I, we've specifically addressed this point at Credit Spring by not charging interest. So whatever you pay is what you owe us back. We've actually we've given over two hundred and eighty-five thousand loans life to date. Not a single one of them has ended up in the debt spiral. So that's important to distinguish the difference there. But also, it's important for lenders to bar lend responsibly. So that means responsible and um, correct affordability checks, creditworthiness checks. What we're seeing now is, you know, thankfully, the FCA has sort of put away the payday lending market, which was full of irresponsible lending. But in buy now, pay later, for example, we don't they're unregulated. They're not doing as much affordability checks as we think they could be doing. And this is going to end up in risky forms of debt. So the key thing to remember is borrowing is essential, but not all types of borrowing are equal. And it's really important to make sure you you borrow what's what you can afford and what not just today, but what you think you can afford over time. Okay. You mentioned the monthly fee a couple of times, but we'll come back to that in a second because I'd like to know, and, and so would our listeners like to know what that is. But the definition then, we're talking about Credit Spring and you're trying to position the likes of Credit Spring as a responsible end of the lending market, I guess, and to enable borrowing during the cost of living crisis sensibly and responsibly. Sketch out for us how that would look. You, you mentioned a family having less than £100 worth of savings, and it was like 40%, I think, of that, of the of the UK. That's Sketch right. out for us how it would look for, say, that family to borrow sensibly and responsibly from Credit Spring. Okay, well, we have a number of real-world examples, but our average member is about 40, 40, 41 years old. You know, on average has one and a half kids, <laughs> makes £27,000 a year. 
And, you know, they're in mostly the, what I call the important but underpaid sector. So healthcare, teaching, police, et cetera. So what all of them are going through on before the cost of living crisis that we're all talking about now is there's just not enough money at the end of the month due to various costs. So there's, you know, the, the trickiest seasons for in the year, which is pretty sad, is Christmas, holidays, back to school, when they should be the sort of happiest, but they're the most stressful. So what Credit Spring does is we sort of offer people a little bit of extra help in a simple and responsible way. So people use Credit Spring for various different reasons. So they'll they, so the way it works is you apply online, you get a decision in less than 30 seconds, and then you become a member and we won't let you borrow for the first 14 days. Because again, this is about responsible borrowing, not to, not letting me, I need the money right away. And then usually what our loans are used for is so the surprise school fees, the MOT bill that was higher than you expected, um, a higher bill coming in that was higher than expected is what we're seeing a lot of now. And people simply log in, press borrow, and the money lands in their account. And then we take it back automatically in six installments over the next six months. No interest. And then they just pay a simple monthly membership fee outside of that. Okay. If someone's listening to this and they're looking at their ins and outs every day, the bank app is usually one of the first I open, normally before my, te- my feet touch the floor of the bed. I, I don't know about you. and they, they realize they're struggling. I don't really like to use terms like struggling or sinking, but someone understands they don't have enough money, their ordinary income to cope right now. And they come around to the idea of perhaps having to borrow. How, how can they best prepare for that so it doesn't cause a crater-like impact on the other side? Do you have limits to how much you can borrow? Well, it's it's a bit twofold. So, of course, from a lender's perspective and the way we think about it is we'll only accept people for borrowing after they pass a series of checks. And basically that is, can they, do we believe that they can today and will be able to afford this type of credit? Do we see that they've been shown responsibility in the past, creditworthiness in the past and all of that? And most lenders will do something similar. Some of the unregulated buy now, pay laters may not do it as much, but on the whole, most people have an FCA obligation to lend responsibly. But from you're asking from a borrower's perspective. So yes, you know, it isn't great to use those terms. And, you know, we're seeing it more and more where expenses are outpacing wages quite quickly. So there was the stat about grocery earlier, but we've seen you know, utility expenses on applications 20 to 30 percent higher than they were six months ago at transport expenses, 20 percent. So it's starting to bite and feel the pinch. Right. But what borrowers need to think about is, can I reasonably afford this loan over the life of the loan? That's the first thing you should really understand. And that's where it gets hard with interest rates. That's why we've removed them to make it a fee. But number two is what happens if I mess up? And that's really important. People should say, what happens if I get unlucky? You know, everyone has rough patches. Everybody, might, may, everything may work perfectly and then something comes up. So you need to know, is the lender that you're going to take money from, are they the type of lender who's going to work with you? Are there millions of hidden fees and charges that, that you don't know about that you should be aware of? How will your credit report get affected from taking this loan? And these are all the things that I think aren't thought about as much. And this is why... You know, we believe it's the lender's responsibility to make lending simpler and safer. So while I say those two things are so easy, it's extremely hard to understand how much a loan is going to cost you right now. So as an example, we used to do 
lots of sort of impromptu surveys with with members of the public on the street or in surveys. We'd say, how much does your overdraft cost you? Literally nobody got that answer right. Okay, <laughs> you know people think you know we just recently did a survey and I think it was twenty five or thirty percent of borrowers thought their costs were going to be cheaper than what they actually ended up being, and this goes back to what I'm saying. It's very very hard to understand how much credit is going to cost you. There's confusing interest rates. There's APRs. There's a, a loads of fees that sit outside of the APR because they're penalty fees. And it's, it's almost like it's set up for confusion. I can give you a number of examples there. The, the 0% balance tr transfer market is, you know, the lenders have modeled this. They know that they're going to make money off of it. And they know most people will not be able to pay it back in time. Yet most people getting into it just see a big 0%. They don't even see the transfer fees. Another was the overdraft. Another example is credit card debt. Well, they have one price, but then credit cards sort of nudge you to pay the minimum, the minimum amount, which ends up meaning a 200 pound expense on a credit bill, card bill will take you 10 years to clear and cost you twice the amount that you borrowed. So all these little tricks, I call them, are hidden and it's not fair to the consumer. So we really believe lenders need to step up to make terms fairer and simpler. And like I said, I don't think anyone's ever gone to a restaurant where order food and then the bill is, a bill is a mystery by the end. They know exactly what they're getting. So why is it in lending that no one seems to know? I truly believe that if lenders could make more money by making terms clearer, they would have already done so. So that tells you something. But then the other bit is how do lenders work with you when you get into trouble? So this was the problem with, you know, payday loans was the really bad one. They almost wanted you to get into trouble so they could keep giving you a bigger and bigger loan. And that's just, you know, now it's almost criminal and FCA sort of put a lot of them out of business. But overdraft is just as guilty. They'll give you as much as you want, keep making money. And actually a third of banks revenues come from overdraft fees when overdraft isn't almost isn't even supposed to exist. It's supposed to be a one off thing. So how do lenders treat you when you get into trouble is just almost as important as do you understand? And that's, again, why Credit Spring, by not charging interest, we care about our members. It's almost a partnership. We don't make any money if you're in debt for longer, unlike every other lender. We want to help you get out of debt. So it's about working together with someone. What can you pay? How can you pay it? And et cetera. It's sort of like a partnership. And it goes back to what I was saying is, you know, what we talked about in the beginning is, Lending has a bad stigma. It's really essential, but why is it so bad? It's because of interest rates. Interest rates mean, in a way, for banks, it's heads they win, tails they win. If you pay on time, they make money. If you don't pay on time, they make more money. And it just doesn't seem fair, especially in today's day and age when we have so much technology to remove a lot of these risks. I'm going to say one of those dreaded phrases, and you mentioned it earlier, debt spiral. Now, even hearing it aloud coming from my own mouth sort of makes me shudder a little bit. Explain to our listener, in case they don't know, what a debt spiral is and why you believe or how the market can change regarding that and how it has to change in that instance. Yeah. Okay. So debt spiral is a big, scary word, and I'd agree with that. And I would also say that it's probably the reason lending has such a bad reputation, rightfully so, over the last 5,000 years. So what a debt spiral is, essentially, is a little problem turning into a big problem. So imagine someone has, let's say, the boiler breaks, which happens to a lot of our members, or the washing machine. So you take a loan to solve that problem today. 
because it has to be solved today, right? Or let's say the MOT, you have to fix that because you can't drive to work if you don't get your car. But what ha- if you don't take a responsible form of credit, let's say the interest charges are very high, what was a 300 pound repayment in a month turns into 400 pounds next month, turns into 600 pounds the following month. It makes it, while you're in a hard situation, it's making it harder and harder to repay the debt, which therefore, as the debt gets bigger, and because the debt is charged on an interest rate, the interest payments become bigger and bigger, making it harder and harder to repay, which makes the money you owe bigger and bigger, which goes, it becomes circular and it becomes a negative spiral. So what we've seen in many, many instances, and we get this from customers calling in, writing in all the time, is they're thanking us for helping us, helping them get out of a bad situation that was spiraling out of control because they didn't fully appreciate, it goes back to the, the question you were just mentioning, they didn't fully appreciate how much the loan would cost and what would happen if they got into trouble. And then oftentimes you'll see a 300 pound loan turn into a 3000 pound loan. And then there's no really coming back from that. Mm. So the debt spiral is bad. All of us have friends and family members who've experienced something similar to this. And it it's due to the fact that there's interest rates charged against loans. And this is a, a thing I feel passionate about. And it's very counterintuitive because we've always assumed interest rates are tied to loans and you'll humor me for a second, the reason interest rates existed or started, loans were invented about 5,000 years ago in ancient Mesopotamia. And you needed to attach an interest rate to a loan because you needed to make sure someone would pay you back. If they didn't pay you back and there was no penalty, they might keep it forever. So interest rates made sense. Then enter the 20th century and we had a formation of something called credit rating agencies. So everyone's heard of them, all the Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, et cetera. Now these guys, and there's plenty of, we have a whole nother conversation about this, but these guys basically take data from your credit profile and give it to lenders. So, and that is what consumers care about. Everyone knows how important their credit report is and their file is. So the incentive to repay on time is now twofold. So if you don't repay on time, your credit record gets hurt and you get extra interest charges. So at Credit Spring, we think lenders should totally change the way they're doing business here. The incentive to repay is there due to credit reports and credit agencies, but they're actually having it both ways. So if you don't pay, the the incentive to have you pay is your credit file and the interest rate. And we don't think the interest rate is necessary anymore. And it's just a way to extract more money from people and cause these debt spirals. The thing is, you, you mentioned it there, Mesopotamia and 5,000 years ago. It may be that other players come into the market doing similar things to you and being responsible lenders. There may be more already, but you're never going to unpick a system that is 5,000 years old, are you? Well, that's the big challenge, and that's what we started. But, you know, the world is very different today than 5,000 years ago. So one thing I'll say is, Loans are here to stay because credit is super important and has proved valuable over 5,000 years. People need credit to get through emergencies, to take advantage of opportunities, and maybe just to have it as an extra backstop. But the way we give credit and the way we charge for credit can massively change. And we've already seen that. So again, now people get loans instantaneously. You no longer have to walk into your bank and fill out a bunch of paperwork. So the way we underwrite the way we decide who can get credit and who cannot has changed massively. 
the way we give loans is all electronic and instantaneous has changed massively. The way we collect loans is all electronic has changed massively. So why can't the way we, quote, penalize people also change? We have the technology. The interest rate was just an incentive to pay on time. But credit agencies have, have made that incentive not a penalty. Well, it'll hurt your credit record, but not financially. So why do we need that? I, I mean, Credit Spring has totally changed that. And we've managed to, you know, grow to over... 230,000 members not giving interest rates and charging a simple fixed fee. So we believe it's possible. And actually, we believe other lenders, especially now, should adopt this model because it's much fairer and it's much easier for customers, especially as we enter this cost of living crisis where people need to borrow just to get by. I know that Cheryl has a question coming up about the sort of financial education. It's one of her passions, but we'll get on to that in just a second. Let's drill down into into your own model for for a moment then. The examples that you've given us and the, the cost of living crisis, you've talked about things like if a boiler breaks down or the pressure points for, for customers being around Christmas, being around when kids go back to school, that kind of thing. These loans, they all sound as though they are comparatively speaking, relatively small. So, you know, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 pounds, let's say, instead of 15 to 20,000 pounds. And you mentioned that the customer will pay back over six months and they will have a fee to join. So give me, give me an actual money example. Okay, so our plus membership, members pay 10 pounds a month And they get to borrow two loans of 500 pounds that are each repayable over six months. So the the membership is a one-year membership. Most of our members renew because they like this access to credit. And it's used differently. So credit is used very differently depending on the product. So overdraft is probably used. It's supposed to be used anyways for those expenses that just tip over into negative and you make sure all the subscriptions keep getting paid, et cetera. Credit cards should be used for the longer term expenses that you think about and you want to pay off over time. These are what they should be used for. But credit spring loans are for those small emergencies that cause a heart that, that when you don't have enough money at the end of the month to make sure you get through simply and responsibly. And we spread that cost over six months. So we're not saying we're here going to change the world. What we are saying is we want to do our parts and one of the most negative of things about borrowing is small problems turning into big problems. The, the debt spiral, the 300 pounds that turns into 3,000 and you're not coming back. So that's the real value we offer our members. So they know on demand, they have access to these two sort of events per year to help smooth over their sort of daily life. So it's the classic, the washing machine, the school bill. Sometimes people will use it for a surprise holiday for their kids. And they know this is something I can pay back. Our monthly repayments are smaller than almost any other loan product. And again, if they get into trouble, it will not cost them anything extra. We'll work with them to get out of it. Okay, I don't know how you feel about financial education. I personally think we don't teach our kids anywhere near enough about money and how it's used and how it should be spent. And that results in generations of adults being none too clever about finance. Do you think that should be changed at source in schools? Yes, absolutely. I think there's a huge lack of financial education across the UK, across most of the world. I believe the financial literacy age of the UK adult is age 11. And, you know, lack of awareness is what causes a lot of the problems. So 100% it should be taught in schools. I think people should be 
talking about money, thinking about money at a much earlier age. I think financial education in schools will also help remove the stigma of borrowing, which is such an essential part of everyone's lives. And people will understand the questions to ask. Everyone's sort of going into this blindly, it seems. And that's where the problems start. That's where people start getting taken advantage of. But what I'd also say is something you said there, that we have already left generations behind. So while it's important to get financial education in the schools, what do we do today, right? Everyone aged 20 to 100 has, has lacked financial education and they're entering the real world. So again, we believe this is, on, this is part duty of the lenders. They need to step up. It's not just about making money off of a loan. It's about building long-term relationships with your customers, as we call them, with our members. So as an example of what Credit Spring is doing, we offer them personalized financial education. We offer them personalized scores. One of them is our spring score, which we just launched, meant to give lenders an idea of how they can access credit and what they need to do to improve that, which is a big bugbear of many members. How do I get my credit score up? How do I know? They don't know. We can't even tell them it's impossible. So we're educating them on the things that we know best. And then they get, and everything is personalized and very simple and easy to digest to help them. Um, as a result, I'll say, you know, we've surveyed our members and 80% of our members say Credit Spring has helped improve their credit score. 92% of our members say Credit Spring has helped improve their peace of mind. On average, we've helped our members save 118 pounds a year on borrowing costs. And we believe it's the result of this sort of surround sound package. It, the loan is just the one part, but it's credit building, education and scores that sort of go across it to help people. We believe all lenders should be doing this. And then also employers have a responsibility, I think, where they can help with financial education. What about other sectors, Neil? I mean, not so much with financial education, but uh, you know, as we're going into this winter and beyond, do you think they could be doing more to help consumers through the winter uh, with the cost of living crisis continuing? A hundred percent. I think it's it's on every sort of important part of sort of society and business should be doing what they can, because this is a partnership at the end of the day. So without a doubt, the government should be doing more. You know, recent events in the government have made it made it a little bit harder. But I believe the government can still support the people who need help the most. And, you know, they are trying their best, I would say. I think employers can be doing more. So financial stress is the number one workplace stress. Employers at the end of the day are the ones paying their member, their employees. But if they could just pay them more, that would be great. But that's not always possible. So they could be doing more about education, signposting ways to get confidential help and all this stuff. But also, you know, the lenders absolutely can be doing more. And then, you know, all the other service providers, the utility, the energy companies, I know they're making lots of profits and they could be doing a lot more to help their more vulnerable customers, you know, food suppliers, everyone. It's sort of a team effort right now, I would say. Can I just go back and ask a question and see what you think on this one? I've got two children. I've got two teenagers, both being at school, both come out of school. Well, one of them's out of school just now. And I know that my son the other day had a, you were talking about education and being educated financially. And he had a period of 40 minutes where he learned very little 
about bank accounts, credit, anything, because I did quiz him on it. <laughs> he didn't have a clue. Do you think that the education system in the UK should be looking at something more to be putting into the schools so that we could prepare our children for responsible borrowing and saving, obviously, as well in the future? What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I absolutely think we need to add education, financial education as a compulsory sort of subject in schools. We actually did a recent survey. 75% of UK adults also agree with that fact, you know, and probably that's just part frustration because they didn't ever receive any financial education. And it's a bit funny. You're supposed to go out into the real world you know, enter all these financial products, which are very confusing, perhaps designed to be confusing with with no strong background in it. So it's a setup for all kinds of bad outcomes. So I think they should be teaching very simple sort of almost rules of thumb heuristics about finances, how to manage your finances. I think, I think there might be, there's a lot of focus in general on savings, but savings isn't the only part of financial education. We need to understand that borrowing is essential, right? Savings is great. It's a great way to get to, but borrowing is essential. We've been talking about savings for hundreds of years and the savings rate has only gone down and down and down. So we also need to educate people how to borrow, what to look for, what to watch out for, you know, help people understand interest rates. You know, interest rates are a very confusing subject and that's not even a financial thing. It's, you know, math is tricky and then within math, interest rates are even more tricky. So it's how do we how do we create simple frameworks to understand interest rates, penalty fees, all this other stuff. I think also, you know, but while schools should do that, it's also important for parents to help their children, you know. So there's there's all there's quite a few new products to help children understand managing their money, you know, thinking about different ways. You know, there's a lot of, you know, thinking about building credit and the importance of building credit and the long-term consequences about not building credit. You know, all of these things we need to somehow have enter the sort of conversation and be less taboo. I think right now it's, you know, finances intimidating, so let's not talk about it. And that's just not the correct hmm. approach. Yeah, bury your head in the sand. And the other thing I would say about financial education for kids is what you were teaching them there and the elements that you spoke about are this. It has to be evergreen, right? It has to be stuff that has been forever and will be forever. There's no point in in teaching them at this point to write a check because checks are pretty much redundant. But that's what I got in school, Cheryl. That's It's true, you know, how to write a check. You put the date here and you put your signature there. Yeah. And now, what use is it? It's, it's of absolutely zero, zero use. Just coming back to the cost of living crisis, Neil, uh, uh, you're obviously very educated in the fin- finance background. How long do you think we're going to be in this current cost of living crisis situation? Um, that, I mean, that's, that's a very tricky question, obviously. I would say... There's no end in sight, really. I I would also say for our members, they've probably been living in a cost of living crisis for longer than it was a a hot buzzword. The fact is, costs are outpacing wages across the board, right? And now with all these big macro shocks, such as the war in Ukraine, general inflation, governments not having the ability to support people as much, that's all going to make matters worse in the short term. So I'm hoping that, you know, in the next one to two years, we can start thinking about getting out of this one. But but that only happens if everyone realizes that this is an opportunity to sort of fix things. So I think governments need to realize, okay, we need to start helping the more vulnerable parts of the economy instead of everyone. So tax cuts, 
for the 1% doesn't really do much in this environment. And I think we saw the market's reaction to that a few weeks ago. And that was a great wake-up call. And I think the government's going to realize, okay, we need to build for everybody, create a more long-term future. I think that's going to start happening soon. I think banks and lenders should realize that this is an opportunity and a big risk. So people are going to need more credit, right? But if they don't go into this with a responsible hat on, thinking, how do I build long-lasting relationships with our members by making fees more transparent, by making you know the risks associated with not paying less back, they're going to get into big trouble and they're going to lose the goodwill of the people as well when they might need government support. So I think it's going to be a tricky part for everybody, but it could also be a sort of time to look hard in the mirror and see what can we do to rebuild stuff back better. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because the government itself hasn't exactly been borrowing responsibly. So I'm wondering if, you know, Richie Sunak came along to Credit Spring and, and chapped in your door, would you be able to give him a responsible loan or is that possibly too much? Well, I think I'm not sure the government would would pass our affordability checks because <laughs> they, they, they have more outgoings than incoming. So I'd have to say kindly, unfortunately, we can't let you in. Mm. But the dif- the big difference between governments and consumers is that governments can print money and consumers can't. So they have a little bit of extra leeway yeah. there. But and and you know the governments in theory are investing in the economy and in the people, which should end up giving longer term returns. But no, unfortunately, Rishi would not be able to get a Credit Spring membership <laughs> <laughs> until he reigns in the spending a lot more. Mm. I can't imagine what his monthly fee would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if someone is listening to this on the podcast, I mean, I'm certainly quite interested, and I'm I'm thinking along the lines of if I've got any clients that I come across that are. 40s as you said and they're in, maybe in their 40s and stuff and if they decide that they do would like to find out more information where would they go to get the information are you online do you have a website we, we're we're fully online so you just simply google credit spring or go to creditspring.co.uk it takes less than 60 seconds to get it to apply and get a decision it doesn't affect there's there's no mark on your credit file if you just for applying and you know we try to accept people who don't normally get accepted so you know a lot of our members come to us and thank us and said you are the only people who would believe in me and give me a chance and now thanks to you i've paid off all of my overdraft and i'm rebuilding my financial resilience so i would say anybody age 18 to above is is a welcome to join credit spring our average members are the families who are struggling just to get to the end of the month but we have plenty of sort of 18 to 34 year olds who are out there trying to build credit in a responsible way. And we also even have members over 80 years old who who banks won't give them any credit either. And we're happy to work with them. Okay. Can I ask another question as well then? I, I was actually thinking as I went along, I also am involved in mortgages as well. So I see a lot of credit reports. How does the, how does the borrowing with credit spring affect their credit file? Is so it similar borrow- to payday loans? No, no, no. It's definitely not similar to payday loans. Borrowing with Credit Spring shows up in your credit file the same way a loan with a high street bank would show up. We're not a high cost short term lender. So we have the same SCA authorization as all other lenders like your normal credit cards, high street loans. So it won't negatively impact your mortgage just for being there like a payday loan will be. But what I will say is you'd still need to show on-time responsible repayments that help that will help improve your credit over time and improve your access to credit. But, you know, you still need to repay the loans. And if you don't repay our loan, just like with any loan, 
that is going to negatively affect your access to future credit and certainly a mortgage. One stat I shared earlier, but our members on average, the last survey did them, 80% of our members report an increase in their credit score after being, after taking up a credit spring membership and repaying their monthly fees repayments over time. Building credit is a, is a, is a long term project. You're never going to get a sort of quick bump. And if you do, you should be very suspicious of that. It's about showing consistent, steady repayments over a period of time. And if you do that, everything starts taking care of itself. Your, your rates go lower. Your access to mortgages improve. Your access to better forms of credit improve. Just one thing I'm wondering, Neil, we've been talking about the, the sort of examples of who uses your service and how you pay it off over six months. If you're spending £10 a month on a fee, you get access to, I think, two £500 loans in a year and then the six months repayment. What happens if during that six months, life just you know goes south and maybe someone loses their job? And they're not able to pay in the six months. What happens then? Because you don't charge interest rates. So what happens at that stage? So what happens? So again, we, we believe all of our members want to pay us, just can't pay. And they're not the, some people don't want to pay. So our philosophy is to work with our members and help them. So what, in terms of what happens negatively, there's no interest rates or charges, but we will report their late repayments to the credit agency. So that will negatively affect their access to credit. So what we try to do is, you know, we have a number of, you know, automated SMSs and emails that go out before your payments due. Please make sure you have enough funds. You have a seven day grace period if you miss your payment where we won't report anything, say, hey, you know, can you get in touch with us? But we always encourage people to get in touch with us once they're in trouble. And this is actually really important for everyone to know. I would speak for for Credit Spring, certainly, but most lenders, it's really important the second you feel like you're in trouble to get in touch with your lender because they are obligated to try to help you find a way. And that oftentimes can be much better for your credit report than just not doing anything and hoping the problem goes away. So it's not easy, but for us, we really recommend our members get in touch with us. Then they'll say, I've lost my job. We'll say, okay, maybe just take another extra month to repay us. That's no problem. Or maybe we'll say, actually, this is looking like a bigger issue. Why don't we reduce your payments, your monthly payments by 50% and you take a longer time to repay us back. So it's about sort of finding what works for the the specific individual at the time. And again, because Credit Spring doesn't charge interest, all of this stuff we're actually doing to help them get out of a hole. We don't make any money off of it. In fact, we lose money the longer it takes us. But so we're both on the same team. Unlike a lot of other lenders will say, oh, we'll just charge you more interest and, you know, keep going. Okay. You're listening to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. This is episode 113. Let's do this bit now. For Phil's Quote of the Week fans, it's a part of the show where Phil usually delights us with a quote on the relevant subject topic for the show because he's always loved and benefited from inspirational quotes throughout his life. So this week in Phil's place, let's see whether Cheryl can provide some enlightenment. What have you got in credit, Cheryl? Well, at the minute, I've got a residential mortgage, two buy-to-lets and a credit card. So I, <laughs> I do have a bit of credit. Like you say, we all, everybody has to borrow. I also like inspirational quotes and I've listened to plenty throughout my life and seen plenty. So I would say what I normally say to my clients is don't buy things you can't afford with money that you don't have. That right. would be mine. As my granny used to say, don't spend what you can't fold. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Fiddle is uh, really keen on trying to help you with your queries as well. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask it anonymously if you prefer. Let's get on to this week's contact details in a second. I'll give it to you after these. Hi, Phil slash Cheryl. My son has recently started a part-time job at weekends. I'm proud of him for taking it on, but I want to help him find the best way of making some money with what he's earning. I thought perhaps a junior ISA may be the best way. What do you think, Cheryl? Well, it really depends on the age of your son. And I don't know how old the son is, but if he's under 18, then yes, a junior ISA would be the most tax efficient. He can save up to 9,000 a year and he can either do it monthly or lump sums and he still has access to the money for future purposes. However, if he is over 18, then I would be probably saying that he should look at both ISAs, cash and stocks and shares, up to 20,000 a year and Mm. pensions as well. Even if he's not earning money, he could still pay in 80 pounds net. Okay, part-time job at weekends. I'm thinking under 60, but I, you know, I could be wrong. Well, uh, you never one know. of my daughters got a part-time job at weekends, and she's 18. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Don't know if we're going to have you back. Uh, next up, here's one about pensions. This time it's from Neil in Plymouth, who says, Hi, Phil. I turned 50 in June, and somehow that's been the catalyst for me worrying about my pension income. Is there an easy way of finding out if, A, I'm earning enough, and B, if not, how can I try to catch up with my remaining years of earning potential? Is there a time where it's simply too late? Well, there is a way of finding it out. We as advisors have access to plenty of tools where we can look at the different scenarios and how to make up any shortfalls in pension requirements. You look at how much you want to, to be having, an in, what kind of an income you want in retirement. We look at existing pension arrangements or existing savings arrangements as well and see if we can reach that figure. If not, we then can look at the shortfalls and how to make up that figure. At age 50, yeah, there's still plenty of time to make payments and and get there. You don't actually have to access your pension until at, at age 75 like you used to. So it's never too late. I would just say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a, a lot of topics now. We may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Mellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 113 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. Thank you once again, Neil, for being our guest and also to Cheryl for stepping in to deputise for Phil. Very short notice. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too. Or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. And as I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us and please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening.